I've had sometimes my strength can fail though I have tried the very best that I could my weaknesses prevailed but then I remember the promise he made that in my weakness he is strong and that's when I know whatever may come his steady hand will lead me
Matthew chapter 27. Boy, hadn't it been good to be in the Lord's house. I'm glad to be reminded that we're going to make it. We're going to make it. It's not an if. It's not a maybe. Child of God, you're going to make it. If you're saved, the victory's already been won. And every battle that you've got to face in front of you, the victory's already been won for every battle that's ahead. And I praise the Lord for that today. I uh, want to look at Matthew chapter 27. Uh, next week is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. It's the day we celebrate uh, a risen Savior. And I'm glad to have a risen Savior. I'm glad He's alive. I'm telling you, a dead Savior is nobody's Savior. And uh, that's what sets Christianity uh, apart from all the other groups, is that the God that we serve is still alive. He's not in a grave. And so we're going to celebrate that next week. Miss uh, Denise put about 300 invitations out there in the foyer. There's little cards, little invitations. And I want to ask you, if you would, to go in the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in next Sunday. We ought to do that every Sunday. But this gives us a reason. This gives us an excuse. If you have a tough time talking to people, this card will help you. And give that to them. Invite them back here next Sunday. I'll tell you, He's worthy to be worshipped. And we need to get out in the highways and the hedges. And we need to invite people to come to Christ. We need to invite people to see the risen Savior that we serve. I want to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 27. And in verse 45, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, open our hearts to it today. Give me the grace that I need to preach your sermon the way that you've designed it. Lord, take our hearts to Calvary today. Lord, let us see what Jesus did for us. As Christians, Lord, help us to never forget. Help us never lose sight for what you've done for us. But Lord, I pray somebody lost today, you would open their minds and their hearts to Calvary. And may they see the, the true sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. I love you and I praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach to you this morning on this sermon title, The Darkness of Calvary. The Darkness of Calvary. Next Sunday we celebrate a risen Savior. This Sunday is the day that we celebrate Palm Sunday. This is the day we celebrate when Jesus went into Jerusalem for that very last time. And they celebrated Him as the Hosanna as He came into Jerusalem, as the palm branches were laid and, the, and everything this big to do as He came into Jerusalem the very last time to be sacrificed for the sins of humanity. And I believe it's imperative for us before we go to the empty tomb that we must go to that cross that was occupied by the Son of God. And though that tomb was empty, the cross was not empty. And there was one that laid upon that cross. And this morning we could go to the cross and we could look at many things. We could look at the people that sat there and watched Him there. We could sit there and talk about the Roman soldiers. We could talk about and break down all of the things that they did to Him. We could talk about the thieves that were on either side. We could talk about the five mighty miracles of Calvary. When the dead got up, 
when the earth began to quake. We can talk about all the many things that took place. But I want to take a three-hour period of time that took place at Calvary that sometimes we don't look into because at the end of the day, the lights was turned off on Calvary where nobody could get a glimpse of what Jesus was going through for those three hours. And the Bible says that at this hour, notice here in verse 45, at the sixth hour, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. The sixth hour is hour 12 p.m. This is high noon. This is the brightest part of the day. And so from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., as Jesus was on the cross, and they laid Him there. I don't know how it all took place, how it all happened, but when they put Him up on the cross, and the thief on either side, the Bible says that darkness fell upon the face of the earth. And of all the miracles that we can talk about, this may be one of the greatest miracles that took place at Calvary because at 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, darkness fell upon the face of the earth so that nobody could see anything that was going on. And a lot of people and a lot of scientists say, well, there had to be an eclipse of the sun that day. But if you keep all of the uh, Jewish tradition and calendar together, Every time that they celebrated these feasts, every time they celebrated Passover, and all these Jews were here in Jerusalem, was always during the full moon. And it is impossible for there to be an eclipse during a full moon. And so you can look at science, and science will fail you to try to figure out why darkness fell upon the face of the earth. Science says that, you know, the eclipse did it. But the Bible tells us that it wasn't science, it wasn't eclipse, it was the power of God that He reached down for whatever reason, and we're going to look at some of these reasons, but He reached down and He decided to put a layer of darkness upon the face of the, uh, of the, face of the land. And I think that's something to think about. It didn't say the earth, it said the land. And I believe in the more that I read, I don't think the whole earth was under darkness. I believe Calvary and Jerusalem and that surrounding area was under darkness. I believe darkness fell that day, not because there was an eclipse, but because of the hand of God laid darkness down upon the face of the earth. It is my God that is powerful enough at the brightest part of the day to take His hand and to turn the sun off and say, you're going to stop shining for this amount of time. Only the hand of the Creator can do what took place at Calvary that day. And so when we look at the dead getting up, what an awesome miracle. When we think about the earthquake and all the miracles, and my favorite is when the centurion servant got saved. But of all of the miracles, what a mighty God it took to turn the sun off. To lay this darkness, this thick cloud of darkness upon Calvary during this three hour period of time that Christ is going through the toughest time of His life. I want to look in this darkness and I want us to see three things. Number one, this darkness is a picture of suffering. This darkness simply means the absence of light. Throughout the Bible, darkness represents sin. It represents the judgment of God. It represents everything that is wrong, if you will. And so when darkness fell upon this land, it represents the absence 
of light. Think about this. Never has there been so much light shown in one man's life like it was in the life of Jesus Christ. In the very last three hours of his life, the lights of the sun is turned off on his life. We see for two and a half years of His earthly ministry how the light shined upon the face of the earth. And man, that light is still shining today. Isn't that awesome today? How the light of Christ has shined throughout all of these years. But for three hours, that light was shut off. For three hours, that light came to an end for a short amount of time. The light was turned off on Calvary for three hours. Nobody knows what Jesus went through. God did not let us look in this darkness to see what Jesus is going through. We don't know what all was said and done during this three-hour time. But I want you to know that it is the darkest time that Jesus ever experienced in His existence. And by the way, Jesus has always existed and He always will exist. And this three hours was the darkest Three hours of His existence. And this darkness represents the suffering that Jesus went through on the cross. Throughout the Bible, the darkness represents suffering. Would you hold your place here and look in the book of Exodus chapter 10? Exodus chapter 10. While you're turning there, in the book of Genesis chapter 15, when Abraham was going through a time in his life trying to comprehend the will of God. In Genesis 15:12, the Bible said, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And so this was the suffering this man went through. This was the agony and the pain that he was dealing with with trying to find God's will in his life. And so Abraham sets this precedence in the Bible that with great darkness comes great suffering. When you look in the book of Exodus, as Calvary had the darkness for three days, Egypt, or excuse me, for three hours, Egypt had darkness for three days. If you remember in the plagues of Egypt, and let's just go back to Egypt for a minute, but God's people was in this place of bondage, okay? And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened against God's people and the Lord. And he wouldn't let God's people go. And God said, I will cast judgment upon this country. And through this judgment, you will let my people go. And so God cast ten plagues upon this sinful nation. The first plague was the water unto blood. The second plague was the frogs. The third was the lice. Then the flies. Then the diseased livestock. Then the boils. Then the hail. Then the locusts. And on the very ninth day, the, the, the one right before the Passover lamb was presented, there was darkness that fell upon the land of Egypt for three days. Notice Exodus chapter 10 and verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. Darkness not only that turned everything off, but darkness that reached the souls of man. That it was so dark, it was eerie. That it was so dark, it was creepy. It was so dark that something was wrong with this kind of darkness. In verse 22, And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Why was there darkness upon Calvary for three hours? Because God turned the light out. How was there darkness on Egypt three days? Because God turned the light out. Now notice this in verse 23. 
and they saw not one another. As they could not see one another, I believe that they could not see one another at Calvary. No person could see what Jesus went through for those three hours. They saw not one another, neither rose any from His place for three days. I love this. But all the children of Israel had lied in their dwellings. Isn't that beautiful? Man, the Egyptians were suffering. Man, they had experienced the water and the blood. They experienced the frogs and the lice. They experienced the diseased livestock, the boils, the hails, the locusts. They had lost their food. They were losing family members. And everything was going wrong. And when everything just got worse, God decided to turn the lights out. You could not see anything. You could not comprehend anything. But it was so dark that it reached down to the hearts of the Egyptians that it gripped them within their soul. And they were in misery and in sorrow. They were in sorrow before God turned the lights out. But when God decided to turn the lights out, they were really in sorrow because they had no light to brighten their day. And as bad as your day may be, isn't it good to wake up in promised land and to see the sun get up and rise? For three days they did not see the sun get up and rise. And oh, you couldn't see anything. But I can only imagine, Brother Allen, the sound and the noise that was heard in that darkness. Oh, you could not see the suffering. You could not see the hungry. You could not see the afflicted. But I believe you could hear the cry of the sorrow. I believe you could hear the cry of the afflicted. Could you imagine the cry of the mamas that could not feed their babies any longer? Could you imagine the cry of those daddies that had lost all of their livestock? Could you imagine the, that these families did not have water to drink? The hell had destroyed all of their property. They had nothing else. And so while you could not see their affliction, I believe you could hear the cry of their affliction. And the sorrow may have not been seen, but it could be heard. May I tell you, in three hours, when Jesus laid upon that cross, you cannot see what He went through. But I believe you could hear what He went through that day. And the only thing that we know that took place was at the end of that three hours, when the Son of God cried, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? I want you to know when Jesus went to the cross, He went to suffer for the sins of humanity. May I tell you that Jesus suffered like no man has ever suffered. Those, the, those women and those men suffered in, in Egypt. But nothing compared to the sufferings of Christ at Calvary. And it's amazing to me when you go to those ten plagues and right before the darkness came the presentation of the Lamb of God. Boy, isn't that beautiful. Before that tenth plague, when you had to offer that Lamb, right before there was that darkness. Darkness came before victory could come in their life. Before that Lamb could be presented as the Lamb of God in the blood spilled, the lights had to be turned out so that there could be suffering. May I tell you that Jesus Jesus has suffered. You say, preacher, I've gone through it. You hadn't gone through anything like Jesus did. Would you just go with me for a minute? In Philippians chapter 2, just listen. Don't turn, listen. 
But God made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Hebrews 2 and 10, For it became Him for whom all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Hebrews 13.12 Wherefore Jesus also, that He may sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. In 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. In Luke 22.44 When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane before He was arrested, the Bible says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were of great drops of blood falling down to the ground. May I tell you that Jesus suffered for our sins. He suffered like no man has ever suffered before. We brought out the other day that when he sweated this great drops of blood, there is an actual condition that you can have that an individual can truly sweat great drops of blood. It has only been done a few times, but they say the only way it can be done is when somebody is at the ultimate stress level. When they are stressed out the very most in their life, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking to the suicide point, maybe beyond, that they're so stressed out that their system is so fretting and so sorrowful and so suffering so much that their body just begins to sweat blood. And that's what our Savior did for us. In the book of Isaiah chapter 53, Oh, I love who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root of a dry ground. He hath no form nor commonness. And when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. God's people, may I tell you, we're talking about Jesus. May I tell you, we're talking about the Son of God. And when they looked at Him, there was no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it was our faces from Him. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did Him esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. You say, preacher, this is not a sermon of victory. Oh, friend, it is a sermon of victory. Because before you get to the empty tomb, you must get to the occupied cross. And understand upon that cross, Jesus suffered like no man has ever suffered before. When the lights was turned out, it represented the extent of His suffering that Jesus suffered on the cross. Now, remind you who Jesus is, the Son of God. Okay? Never committed a sin. Never done any wrong, but He suffered. He never told a lie, but He suffered. He never looked the other way when somebody had a need, but He suffered. He never, He never lost His temper, but He suffered. 
He never committed a sin, but He suffered. May I tell you, the innocent was there for the guilty. May I tell you that Jesus suffered a death that was not His to suffer. And He died that day, and the suffering that He experienced was my suffering and your suffering. And when you and me should have been laid upon the cross, it was Jesus that freely laid His life down to take our suffering. Number two, it is a picture of separation. I want you to go here to Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27. Not only is this a picture of suffering, but it is a picture of separation. I want you to look in verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Understand that when darkness fell upon this place, it represented the separation between the Father and the Son. Never before has the Father and the Son ever been separated. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. God in the Hebrew is Elohim. And it is, thir- it is a plural word which simply means it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that created and has always been. And i tell you what, there's been a lot of things go wrong, but the only absolute in history of mankind is the Father and the Son was always together until Calvary came. And in that day, that darkness separated God the Father and God the Son. Why did it separate? Because sin will always separate us from God. And Jesus took upon Himself the sins of humanity. And let me tell you something, when He took our place, He took our place. And He became separated from the Father. The Alpha was separated. The beginning was separated. The the root of David was separated from the Father for three hours. And He used the word forsaken. For God has forsaken me. This word means to leave behind, to desert, to forsake. This same word was used by Paul when he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.16, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. As Paul said, everybody left me. Jesus saying, the Father left me. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.9, I'm persecuted but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed. This is what Paul's saying. This is what Jesus is saying. Just as Paul said, everybody left me, Jesus saying, the Father left me. Jesus saying, God turned His back on me. Jesus saying that God could not look down upon me. And I've preached this before. I've preached this when I was in Texas and one of the best men that I know come out and he was mad at me. Oh, he was mad. He said, how dare you, preacher, to get up there and tell all of those people that a loving God would turn His back on His own Son. How dare you to tell them that a loving God would send His Son down there and just betray Him on the cross and to turn His back on Him. How dare you to say that a loving God would do that. I've had a preacher that I preached revival for. That God on me, preacher, God did not turn His back. God did not turn His back. Friend, if He didn't turn His back, there wouldn't be darkness upon the face of the earth. And Jesus... Excuse me, God turned His back on Jesus so that He'd never have to turn His back on us. 
You see, when sin is there, separation is going to be there. And Jesus took upon Himself the sins of humanity and everything you've ever done and everything you'll ever do was laid on Jesus that day. I don't comprehend it, but I believe it this morning. And it was laid on Jesus and God the Father for the first time in the existence of everything turned Himself away from the Son. And He turned His back on Jesus. You say, that's not a loving God. It is a loving God. That He had sent His Son down for me to take my place because Jesus was separated for the simple fact that I'd never have to be separated from Him. And that day when God turned His back on the Son, it was so for the fact that He'll never have to turn it on me. Oh man, aren't you glad if you're saved today that you can never truly be separated from God ever again because it's the love of Christ. Oh man. Man, that's good preaching. I don't care who you are. That's good preaching right there. Yes, He turned His back on the Son. So He'll never have to turn His back on us. And God is holy. He could not look down on Calvary that day. Oh, He's holy and He's just. We don't understand what Jesus had on His back. But it was bad enough for God said for the first time in my existence, I can't look on Jesus. Oh! Oh! I love you. But I'm not giving you Connor. I love you. But I'm not going to turn my back on Connor for you. That is a loving God. Woo! Are y'all awake? <laughs> he turned His back so that we would never have to experience what Jesus experienced that day. I want you to look and we're going to, be, we're going to have invitation. 2 Corinthians 5. Number 3, it's a picture of Substitution. I'm so wound up, I can't find Corinthians. It don't fell out of my Bible. Oh, gosh. Oh, would you see what Jesus did for you? Oh, would you see? Would you see the place? Would you see what He did? It's a picture of substitution. The innocent for the guilty. 5.21 For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He took sin for us. Listen, if you get anything, you get this. You never have to go to hell because Jesus took hell at Calvary. You think it was dark at Calvary, you wait till you get to hell. And it's dark in hell. Jesus took hell for you so that you would never have to experience it. You don't have to go to hell. But if you go to hell today, you're going to have to stumble upon the cross of Calvary to accept the fact that an innocent Savior came and dwelt among men and lived like no man has ever lived before. But He became obedient to the death of the cross. And He took upon Himself the sins of humanity. And He laid it down for us. And He paid for our sins. And He took the beating for us. It wasn't His beating. 
It was my beating. It wasn't His crown of thorns. It was my crown of thorns. It wasn't His cross. It was my cross. It wasn't His beard. It was my beard. It wasn't the cuss words for Him, but it was for me. Everything that He endured, He did for me. Basically, come on. Everything that He did, He did for you. If He did not do what He did, then we would all have to go to hell. We would all have to be separated from God. We would all have to experience this. But because Jesus did what He did, He substituted Himself in the place of me. So as Jesus died, so did Josh Llewellyn. As Jesus died, so did you. That's the substitution that He took our place. If you've never been saved, would you go to Calvary and would you see the darkness? Would you see the suffering that Jesus endured for you and for me? And I pray that this sermon rips your heart apart, lost person. I'll be honest. I hope you see what has been done so that you'll never have to go to hell. Shame on every person that rejects Jesus. Nobody has to go to hell because Jesus paid our price. Child of God, when's the last time you just fell on your face? When's the last time Calvary moved you? When's the last time Calvary just got down in your soul and it just convicted you to the point you just fell down and said, Jesus, thank you. I want to ask you to stand. I want you to hear what Jesus did for us. Y'all go ahead. And while she sings, this altar's open, decisions need to be made.